Welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. This is a special edition at KubeCon at Chicago, and I have a great guest today. Marino, introduce yourself. Thank you, Mike. My name is Marino Wijay. I'm a principal developer advocate at Solo, but I'm also a community member that I love to get you know involved and just work with folks to help them get onboarded into the world of networking in the world of 2023. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's you know that's one of the nice parts about you know, um, especially this kind of event in this community is that everybody really wants to help each other. And, I, and that's why I love it. It's what pulled me into it. I'm sure it's what pulled you in too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a great way to be. You know, people are, if, if you're interested in stuff and you want to learn and you, and you like people, this is the place to be. You're absolutely right there, Mike. You know, um, as a Canadian, we don't get this kind of action up in Canada. So is that true? It's, it's, it's very true. So I got to create that action somehow, but I have to be inspired, and the only way to do that is to get out to these events, meet people, see how they run these events, and kind of follow that process or approach, but, you know, make it mine. Yeah. So I'll tell you, when I went to KubeCon, my very first one in 2019, that was my very first uh, opportunity to really witness what community was, because you get to see all of these engineers and enthusiasts get together and share ideas, share how they approach open source and you know specifically cloud native, but they do it in such a human way, and and I love that. There was no, didn't feel like a an overly you know promotional type conference. It was people actually talking about problems that they solved. That's that's an important thing. It's an important thing, right? And you've got these engineers that have contributed to these open source projects talking about why they got there or why they did what they did. And that becomes important, setting the foundation for how we got to where we are today. So, you know, I, I start to see how there's a movement around things around net DevOps and how that ties to platform engineering. And... You know, I've got a lot of thoughts about it, but you know, if you've got thoughts, I'd love to hear them first. And then, so first of all, you're coming from somebody who's been around Net DevOps for a long time. I yeah, work for yeah. a little company called Cisco, <laughs> and and so so Net DevOps is a thing. But I kind of, you know, it's funny because I kind of have this kind of, uh, I fight with myself about it, you know, because yeah. because if you look at the traditional like DevOps movement and you look at like cloud native, actually, I should say more cloud native movement. If I'm in cloud native, the reason why I'm there is because I don't want to have to care about the network. I don't want to have to care about it. And usually you're looking at things from an application lens. Exactly. So, yeah. But that's not the truth in everywhere you go. So now I'm fighting with myself because I'm like, you know what? A lot of things, we, we're living in a hybrid world right now. So, so a lot of things aren't going to be in the cloud. And rightfully so. And you don't have to be. And so there's no judgment here. This isn't a judgment zone. Mm -hmm. And and really, so so if you're not in the cloud, you do have to deal with network. And you do have to deal with infrastructure. So you need a way to do that. So so that's just like, you know, my thoughts off the bat. I totally agree. I think in any any type of environment where you have to run applications, the network is, is going to be there, right? Yep. Whether or not you have access to it to configure it is going to entirely depend on, like, how much customization you're after. And so when you start thinking about cookie-cutter solutions, right, you start thinking about how everyone can do the same thing Great, you know, you have a foundation you can start off with, but then you start to realize that every organization is different because they've got these corner cases. They've got things, dependencies that support their applications. And so you've got to start customizing the network. And that becomes very challenging in the cloud. So you don't have access to the direct hardware at all times. You don't have access to those wires anymore. And you got to get a little creative in how you build out your networks. 
Yeah, and absolutely. And and when you go back, you know, and and I know where you're leading here because I, I know what you I know what you do, but um the you know when you get to kubernetes you're dealing with multiple levels of of abstraction here because you're dealing with different networks you're dealing with segmentation you're dealing with all these things that could be you know relatively complex and you want different domains for your for your data to live so you know there's so many things that you're thinking of and you might have just you know a lot of people are getting into this and and they're like well i just heard that i want to containerize stuff and I just, you know, I just heard that I want to take my apps, kind of break them apart and make these things called microservices, put them out there, and this should be easy. But but in all honesty, unless you have a good solution, it could be as complex or as easy as you want. It's a matter of the right solution for what you want to do, you know? You're absolutely right. So a lot of people have jumped on that container bandwagon. And, <laughs> you know, the reality is, do you truly need microservices. You know, this conversation has come up so many times before because once you introduce that, you've got to introduce this notion of network namespaces, you've got to give every service a, a TCP IP stack, and that networking becomes so much more convoluted because of how much onboarding and offboarding you're having to do, because how we of how we treat microservices. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you go back and ask the business, wh why are we even deciding to go down this path, right? What is it, What does it really benefit us? So you see instances out there in the world where companies have gone back to the monolith because it's a simple approach. You have some everything, like, centralized into one little, you know, artifact. And not only that, like, the networking becomes supremely simple. But, you know, it's not just a either-or situation. You have a blend of all these different kinds of workloads. So how do you do the networking for all these different kinds of workloads? Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's funny because monolith has become like a dirty word. And it's not yeah, really, it's not. it's not at all. It's, it's, it's a crazy idea, but how about using the right, right solution for what you want to do? Figure out what you need. Do you need scalability? Do you need distribution? Do you need... Uh, you know, what, what are the things that are driving this application? Then back into the technology that supports that. I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy, but that's, you know, that's, that's, that's really the, the best way to do it. Yeah, and when you, when you decide that your business will drive what that will all look like, you start to realize that you don't need certain things in your environment. You don't need that extra complexity and overhead because now you're just churning through cycles for figuring out how to make all of these things work and stitching and quite honestly it's it's not always pretty right and there's there's organizations out there that exist to help with that stitching but it's never going to be a hundred percent and so you're going to have to do some customization you're going to have to do some scripting um, sometimes it might be an individual that is sitting there maybe pushing a button every like 23 hours or something just to make sure something doesn't um, turn down, right? Obviously, we don't want that happening because no one should be having to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this is all leading to the fact that automation has really driven a lot of these activities and removed a lot of toil in some of the day-to-day -day stuff. So back when I was doing a lot of the, the network engineering, like the real network engineering stuff, automation was kind of a thing. Like Python was yep. becoming a, a powerful tool, but not everyone was familiar with it. Not everyone was willing to jump into that world. There were a few that actually jumped in and created a, a little community for folks to jump in and learn. But I, I'll be honest, I was one of those folks that was scared. Like I, uh, Python, like, oh my gosh, I learned, I learned Java like 15 years ago, and now you want me to learn Python when I haven't touched <laughs> programming in a long time? So in any case, 
you sit there and and you you assess how automation helps with this. You sit there and you assess how you have you've got like all these different workloads, and then you also think about, you know, if I if I'm told that I have to make changes and they have to happen really quickly, like implementing new security policies or mm-hmm. maybe new tokens or the new way we do authentication, how do we test this all? Right? Yeah. How, do, how do we used to test this all when we were like doing the, the original network engineering? We wouldn't. I mean, maybe we would. Maybe we'd have like a, a portion or a scaled down setup that would kind of resemble what you would do for production, but it wouldn't be enough because you wouldn't be able to test out the scale. You wouldn't be able to test out things like QoS. You wouldn't really truly test out failure and recovery. Think of your spanning tree domains back way back when, right? Like, how would you test to make sure you know who the root bridge is if you have multiple switches? Just in your... connect them in. They'll yeah. figure it out. They'll figure it out, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm, like, thinking back to the logic of how the root bridge is decided. And, oh, my gosh. Anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because, you know, I was – I started out as a network engineer. So that's what yeah. I started out as, you know. And we were we were actually doing things – you know, I was a consultant before I worked for Cisco – and, you know, we were doing things like I did the first OTV configuration yeah. and it unfolded out when it came out. And we did, a, you know, we did things like that. But but going back to what you were saying about Python, I was always a scripter. I started out in Perl and then I went into Python. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember when we were saying, OK, well, we want to secure all our ports because we did a analysis at one of the companies that was and we could see anyone could plug in. So we used ICE. Mm-hmm. And we configured ICE. And then I was like, well, we need to figure out which ones are access points and which ones are, you know, what kind of devices are. So I remember scripting this all in Python to figure mm-hmm. out, like, by the MAC addresses or by the CDP neighbor or by the, you know, what what these devices are so that it could go through, manage all those switches, learn where everything was, and then automatically import them into ICE. Yeah. So, you know, that was the kind of stuff we used to do. It was scrappy. It was very scrappy. It wasn't like this defined workload and we weren't thinking about CICD at the time we were just thinking let's run a script and see what happens not repeatability not yeah. any of this stuff this stuff is all evolved into what we have today exactly <laughs> so where where do you think CICD entered the chat when it came to networking i i do think that as people started to move to cloud native and probably you know as People started to use things like Chef and Puppet and, you know, all these all these platforms that uh, would would deploy the apps. People started to think, well, I want to do that for my infra, too. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's when it happened. But it, I could be totally off base about this. So I, I do kind of agree. You know, when that whole cloud native movement started, a lot yeah. of the networking becoming abstracted was just taken care of. Right. It yeah, was yeah. automated in some way, shape or form, limiting, but automated. Yeah. And we've come a long way from that point because today, you know, I'm starting to see how network engineers are leveraging Git for version control of their configurations and then interfacing with APIs to push those configurations. We're getting to a point where we're using GitOps principles. Yeah. And we're able to reflect that change in the network without having to hop into a device or something that's virtual or virtual appliance, right? And that's really cool because... This enables you to get to that whole level of staging and testing. So uh, I bring this up because when I was setting up a demo for um, my talk at CiliumCon yesterday, I actually was doing some research around how I'd want to, you know, set this all up, and I stumbled upon something called Container Lab. Actually, it was Nico Viber from Isovalent that, uh, who I used to work with at VMware, who brought it up in a blog post, and I checked it out, and I was like, wow, this is pretty powerful, and it was very, very resemblant of. GNS3, right? <laughs> and Dynamips. Yep. So yep. I sit there I and I'm that. like, you know what? It's nice to go back in time. 
and messing around with links and stuff like that. Although, when you're using Container Lab, you're doing a lot of this in Docker networking. And so Docker networking in itself has a lot of limitations. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, uh, what Container Lab has enabled is if you can test out a whole bunch of different appliances virtually, either in container form or VM form, from Cisco, uh, Juniper, uh, Arista, or any of these other vendors, or even something like FRR as an open source router, just to like test out your network, yeah, yeah. Do, some, some, do some resiliency testing. I think it's a great tool. And I I've think... never heard of it. And then, you know, this is why I love coming here, because each time mm -hmm. I learn of a tool that was, you know, something that, that, that I definitely want to try out. So this is, yeah. this is something I'm going to try out. Well, and I'll tell you, the reason behind why I decided to do this is you've got this, this container networking technology called Cilium, mm -hmm. which is native to Kubernetes, and it works with Kubernetes. It's container networking. Mm -hmm. And you have to interface with the rest of your network somehow. And the reality is, like, like I mentioned before, it's not containers or VMs or bare metal. It's and. It can be, right? Absolutely. And when you think about those kinds of topologies, how do you enable those traditional workloads to access your container workloads and vice versa? So we looked at some of those traditional protocols we used to use that are still li alive and well, like BGP. Yep. And what's interesting is the Cilium technology has a lot of roots from Cisco, actually, right? You know, Thomas Graf, uh, he, I think he spent some time at Cisco at some point. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. maybe. <laughs> and I, uh, I think he's still got a lot of uh, ties to it. But what's really cool is a lot of that ideology around how we do software-defined networking was brought into the world of container networking. And we're still using the same primitives. Like, we're using VXLAN for overlays. We're still using bridges. We're still using virtual routers. We're, and BGP still enters the chat, and yeah. it's still available because we still need to know how our pod networks can communicate with that database that lives so far away. <laughs> And we need to know and tell that database how to transact with those pods that live in a cluster. Yeah. But they don't. You, you can't bake in that routing intelligence. You don't want to plumb IP routes <laughs> in any one of those instances, right? It, it makes no sense. So BGP is is the magic that makes it work. But the best way that I found to test this out is where Container Lab started adding a lot of value because you can plug in any kind of router, configure those, and make make a a network topology simulate it you could even take it to a point where hey maybe i can run this in git and you know make a runner out of it so i can test out maybe a new potential set of policies that i'm pushing out to my environment right yep and you know there are there are proprietary solutions that do this today you mentioned ice <laughs> right there are other solutions that do it well yeah, yeah but it's more the ideology of net devops and taking that to the realms of platform engineering Oh, hold on. I brought up a new term. <laughs> Wait, have you ever talked about platform engineering on any of your... I probably have because yeah. I, you know, I've, I had a conversation, and I've actually never published this, but I have to yeah. publish it soon, with uh, Gene Kim and uh, oh, Kelsey Hightower. Nice. Okay. And, and we talked about the different evolution of DevOps. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so I, I think that's, you know, whether, whether it came from DevOps or platform engineering or DevSecOps and all these other things that are, you know, what does it all really mean? Yeah, you know, so. so everything is a platform at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. You will have to spend time stitching and interoperating a lot of different technologies. So Kubernetes is, you know, on its own, can't do a lot. You could run a few things, but if you really want to get to production and scale, you have to load it up with so many additional tools sure. and plugins. Now, 
when you have to sit there and think about all these different tools, that is effectively platform engineering. You're engineering a platform in which your applications can run. But the reality is the folks that actually consume that platform aren't your platform engineers or your DevOps teams or your SREs. They're the ones that are curating it. They're maintaining it, the upkeep and whatnot. It's the developers, right? They're sure. looking up apps and whatnot. And so they've always looked for an experience of, I just want to write my code and write, you know, maybe microservices, push them out, and everything should be able to connect to each other, right? It should be that easy because I'll just, you know, plumb my DNS in information and everything should work, right? But the reality is to get there, like literally there's so many little different moving parts that we don't really think about. And so you have companies that have come out with, IDPs, internal developer platforms, that on one hand give developers that self-service API to go out and provision their apps and add the additional components to make it function and scale. But on the other hand, the other side to that platform is the platform engineering team that pins in all those technologies, like Kubernetes, like a CNI, like a service mesh to make this all work, and then rolls through the the ideologies of SRE and DevOps to make this always work and scalable. So that's... That's a rough, loose definition, and I'm basing this off of a lot of the networking stuff that I used to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's all evolved over time. It's funny because I'm going to have um, Darren Shepard and nice. okay. and Shannon on later on, and nice. you know they run Acorn, and Acorn is supposed to be an a, one A answer for for a lot of that stuff, you know, right. because yeah. the complexity of all this stuff. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, it, it can get really really complex, and that's the thing that you know it's it's relatively easy to get something working in Kubernetes if you've been in this space for a little bit. It's really hard to scale it, to, to make sure that it's production grade, to make sure it's secure. I mean, there's so many things that have happened over time. I mean, you talk about supply chain uh, and, you, you know, um, security, and you talk about all these things. And to answer all these problems, you need a lot of different things to, to make this all work. Exactly. You're absolutely right. You need stitching. You need expertise. You need to fail several yeah. times yeah. before you get it right. And that's where the testing comes in, right? And platform engineering is a very broad set of principles and, and technologies and ideologies. And networking is just a subset of that. Yeah. But if you can figure out how to stage and test networks at scale for a variety of different setups and topologies, maybe you're running edge in addition to cloud, in addition to your private data centers, you know, you can make this work. I mean, it's entirely possible. So what's your solution to making this easier, to making it so that, you know, is, is or is there a way to, to make it easier and to, to, you know, simplify it? Because I, that's what I look for. So let's take Container Lab and we'll start there. Yeah, yeah. Now, we, we want to tell people about Container Lab because we want to get people to use it. And the more people use it, the more ideas come about, the more PRs get filed around, hey, maybe we can write some documentation or an example of how to do this or how to test with this how to get this into our CICD testing. Uh, now, that's one part of it. But also, like, finding ways to get other organizations to jump on board that and say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll join that cause. And you form a community around it. So I, there is one particular community that I stumbled upon very recently. Do you remember someone by the name of Jeremy Stretch? That sounds familiar. Um, there used to be a website called, I think, Packet Life with a whole bunch of cheat sheets. Yeah, yeah, I totally That's remember it. that. Yeah, That's yeah. It, right? So I was on Twitter or X or whatever you call it these days, yeah. and I was uh, I saw this event come up called 
that DevOps days, and it was happening in London. So I missed that event because I just I had a conflict. And then it happened again in New York, and I had another conflict, so I couldn't make it. But I saw the event, and then I you know, started to piece together who it was. It was Jeremy Stretch who was running these events through, I guess he's got an affiliate organization that he does it with. But it was kind of, I was blown away because it takes that focus of like Kubernetes networking, cloud networking, automation and networking, and brings it to that one little community because it's been very like, dispersed all over yeah. the place, you know? And so I'm I'm very excited to see where that Net DevOps Days um, community goes. And I'd love to, like, do one in Toronto. Hopefully, you know, Jeremy sees this video. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to Marina. We'll make it happen. Um, because I'm very passionate about networking. Yeah, a lot of the A lot of the technologies that I've seen in Cloud Native are very resemblant of stuff we used to do, right? Yeah, no, totally. And and just to let you know, it's not just, you know, Canada that, that these events don't typically come to. It's the East Coast of the U.S. too. Oh, really? Because the East Coast is very rarely any conferences that are that are decent at all. Oh, we got to change that. I mean, I, I, really, <laughs> I really, really want to, like, bring, like, a big conference to the East Coast because there is nothing that, that comes here. You know, um, do you know Scott Lowe? I don't know. Okay, so Scott Lowe and I used to work at VMware. Um, I don't think we ever, like, directly worked together, but we probably crossed paths a few times. We, we, like, recently connected about a year ago, and I had known, like, of some of his work around network automation before. He has a book out there around network automation, and I think it'd be great to, like, get his perspective around, you know, how you would form a community around that. Yeah, yeah. Because he's tapped into the world of Kubernetes He's kind of like me because I was a network engineer and I stumbled upon cloud native and I'm yep. like, how do I find my way around this? Well, let's see if we can find a familiar technology that makes sense. Yep. CNI. Okay. Yep. This is starting to make a lot more sense. And I think he would be able to really help, you know, drive some more consumption around how we do things with automation, how we move to Git, how we consume technologies like container lab. I mean, there's a bunch of folks out there that are doing this and, yeah, yeah. and we just like, don't see it. There's another guy in Canada um, John Capio Banco. Yeah, you know him. You know, he yeah. works for Cisco too. Developer advocate. Yep. Yeah. He's been making some really interesting stuff around network automation and then tying that to AI. And I like I'm trying to follow exactly what's going on. I'm I'm piecing together the fact that he's trying to come up with some sort of AI operator that lives in your network that can assess and understand what your network conditions are today and give you suggestions on how you can, you know, improve upon them. But then it's, it poses a scary question. Like, do you want to trust AI with your network and building your network? Because you know your network, right? Yeah. And, but you know what? It's, it's interesting. When you really think about it, it, you know, your network has very direct things that it tells you, you know? Yeah. So, so as long as you have that information coming somewhere, you can respond to it. Although if multiple things try to converge at the same time and then it's making a decision, obviously that could be a problem. So there could be some, some edge cases there. But, you know, I, I do feel like it is a perfect case. And I'm always wondering, like, internally, like, I have nothing to do with networking at Cisco. And, and oh, you know, it's really it's it's funny because I'm in I'm in emerging tech, which okay. is called OutShift at Cisco. And we're doing all cloud native technologies. Okay. Not that I didn't come from that side. I definitely did. But... Um, you know, I always wonder why, like, the other BUs, like, 
why it hasn't happened already why this you know it's it's obvious that people are looking for more analytics more you know uh ai based stuff and i i do think it's coming let, let me and i have no inside information here i'm just giving you that information i do think it's coming but I, i'm always surprised that it has taken this long because i feel like it would be the perfect way for something like this to happen i i do believe that you know Companies that make investments in building out BUs to focus on these particular things is very important, right? Yeah, yeah. Because as you're a large organization, you still got to roll the business somehow. So your other BUs are going to do that heavy lifting while yeah. you are trying to you know, demonstrate that value and effectively start closing on business too, yep. right? Um, and I think a lot of organizations, like for example, VMware probably was going through this before the Broadcom acquisition, right? And they've been acquiring companies for forever. Um, but you start to realize that these companies want that that particular emerging style BU just to focus on what's going on in cloud native or what's yep. going on with the world of AI or what's going on in the world of, I don't know, what other worlds are there? Yeah, quantum. <laughs> quantum like, computing yeah. and whatnot, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when you think about that for a second, and then you also compare that to some of the stuff going on in the startup world, there are a lot of startups that have been coming out offering interesting networks and technologies. Absolutely. So I'll give you a really good example, Tailscale. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm a little biased because I like their technology a lot. But when you think about IPsec VPNs and how hard it was to set that up, and then you have this company come along and say, hey, we can make this super easy for you. Just install a client here, a client there, boom, you're on. Yep. And it blows my mind. Like, you know, how did we go from something so complex to something so simple? And it actually comes down to something very simple. It's it's a user experience issue. Absolutely. So the focus never was user experience years ago. It was about can we get it to work? Can we make it sustainably, you know, working forever? And can we build upon this? And then along the way, accessibility became a problem, a, a good problem to have because we started to realize that we were gatekeeping these technologies for other people to be able to use them, consume them, build upon them, etc. And so the focus shifted towards making a, a better UX, a better UI, a better experience for that consumer. And so you'll see and you'll find a lot of people now are really actively pushing a lot of accessibility around these technologies just to make sure that we're not missing out on someone that is so brilliant that can add an, an additional dimension to an open source project and they can't contribute because we just haven't given them the tools to succeed, right? Yeah, yeah. And so going back to community, right? I know we've like jumped all <laughs> going back to community. This is important, right? This is why cloud native has become so important. Now, the reality is like there are so many different opinions around how to do the same thing. Right? Oh, so absolutely. Many, like, look, I work for Solo and the reality is I would say, let's take this approach. Yeah. Cisco would have a slightly different approach. Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe some other vendors like AWS, different approach altogether, sure. right? But ultimately solving the same problem. And you have to sit there and assess what is best for you. What do you need from an organizational standpoint? And everyone here has an opportunity to really win and succeed. Um, but what it'll always come down to is what we said earlier, that business need, right? Absolutely. And so everyone's going to be a little different in the features and flags and whatever else that they offer up. Uh, but I think when you think about maturity, when you think about structure, but then you also think about speed and how much attention you can get, all of these factors also come into play here. Expertise comes into play. How much engineering can you throw at this problem when you realize you've hit 
a feature gap and now you got to go back and build it. How long is it going to take to deliver that to the customer, right? So in a lot of ways, it's great to have an emerging BU, but then if you're at the mercy of a larger, massive organization that says you can only do so much so quickly, and oh, by the way, you need multiple levels of approval, is kind of why I left the big organization and went to some place like Solo, because I realized sometimes we need to make changes really quickly yeah. and move quickly. Yeah. Well, that's, that's you know, the good part about, and, and I could say to, to Cisco's credit, but mm-hmm. the emerging tech now called Outshift, I always have yeah. to say that. I, it's like, I'm just referring it's like to Twitter. Generally. Yeah, no, no, I yeah. agree. I agree. You know, is that we're allowed to break the rules, yeah. which is really cool. We don't have to follow that. We don't mm-hmm. have to. I shouldn't say this live. Maybe I should. But, <laughs> but we're, we're allowed to do these things. You have and, a lot more autonomy. Yeah, is, we have a lot more autonomy. Yeah. So we have we have the budget of a big company, but we also have the speed and agility of yeah. a small startup. I Which think, is great, yeah. and and I really that's one of the things that I appreciate because I actually left Cisco, came back, oh, really? and, and you know, and one of the things that pulled me in was that was exactly that because you know, I really wanted to be part. I I like the shiny object. I have the shiny object syndrome. syndrome. Yep. You know, so so for me, I I get bored of working on stuff that's you know the same thing all of the time. So I want to do something that's different. Work on the next thing, and we kind of built that machine that's like you know, let's look at. What is the problem statement? Let's figure that out. Let's work on it. Let's get it to maturity. Let's hand it off to something else and let's work on the next thing. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, so Outshift, um, I've, I've heard a little bit about the program and whatnot, but I, you know, why don't you tell me a little bit about what Outshift is <laughs> doing? Because I'm interested to know, I know I have a friend who works there, Stephen Augustus. Yeah, of course, yes. Stephen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we all know Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows Stephen. <laughs> Uh, I, it was a little bit of a shocker when I found out he was going over to Cisco yep. to do that. Well, that's why. I mean, you know, it's I always say that this is the only place I, I would want to be personally. Not that Cisco is not a great place. If you're truly into network hardware and, you know, I used to be into there. Again, shiny object syndrome. Yeah. It's not that I don't want, don't love the whole other side of it. Yeah. But for me, that's what pulled me in was, was this, this kind of skunk works kind of place where it's like, okay, you know, you have the permission to fail. But let's do the right things. Let's figure out. Let's talk to people and figure out. Okay, well, what should we be doing? What what are what are the right things? Let's not just make our own decisions as a big company because a lot of big companies will say we know this is the way to do it. Let's just do it this way. Yeah. Blah blah blah. We don't do that. We we'll go out there and we'll say, well, you know, let's get the experts in the industry. Let's talk to them. Let's figure out what's what's right. You know, and and really we've we've looked at certain areas, and those areas are around. Cloud security, we have Panoptica, which is our mm-hmm. cloud security. We have open source, which is open clarity. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff Steven's working on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have some new areas that we're working on around AI and quantum and stuff like that. So, but, but again, it's about the people, you know. And to me, I won't work for a place that I, I physically can't work for a place that I don't believe in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. just, it just, it's like something ingrained in me. Like, yeah. I have a really hard time doing that. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think that's that's exactly it, right? And I, I think about my decision to go to Solo versus Google because I was literally staring at the two offers, and I'm like, you know, these are two different extremes. Absolutely. Right? And you have to sit there and think about your career and where it's going to take you. Yeah. And I will say, like, okay, look, if I didn't join Solo, would we be doing this interview right now? I don't know, right? Yep. <laughs> I really don't think I would have those same opportunities. And yeah. so it's the, it's the people that you end up working with. And then Absolutely. they open the doors for you. And it's also interesting because as you see those doors open, you start realizing how you can open doors for others as well. Right? Absolutely. And so I think um, Solo as an organization has done a lot to allow me to get out to the community and tap into that 
network engineering community that has been left out of cloud native, right? I, I, I'm saying it like literally yeah, yeah. cloud native, I think was frustrated with the inability for networking to deliver quickly enough that they just decided to go and name a whole bunch of things differently yeah. and still do it the same, right? And I, I I have to say that because look, I as a network engineer coming into cloud native, seeing all these technologies called something something completely different, right? I'm gonna call that out. Yeah. But I'm also gonna make sure that we create a bridge for those network engineers to come to cloud native, find their place, and you know, become experts not only in, in their networking domain, but in other areas like cloud native Kubernetes and CNI and service mesh. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, that's, it's funny you say that because one of the things that's really important to me is, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot in my career. I feel like I've, I've accomplished a lot, but what I get excited about is, is teaching what I know and learning from other people. Yeah. That's what I get excited about these days, you know, because to me, it takes a lot for me to get excited about like a solution because I've seen a lot of it at this point. But what I get excited about is when I see somebody else that's interested and I can, be, I can have a conversation and they're get, they get excited about it. Yeah. And then we could, you know, we can start to collaborate a little bit, you know, and, I, and people don't take me up on this. But I always say, if you're interested in an area that you don't know and, and I happen to have that knowledge, reach out to me, yeah, you know, exactly. because I love to talk about stuff. And that's just it, right? <laughs> like there are people out there that have a, a wealth of information, a wealth of not only networking knowledge, but so many other domains, right? And, yeah, yeah. And when you see how they're able to tie that all together and, and really give you a true story, that is true learning. Like you're now living through them and their experiences, through some of their failures and their successes. And, you know, that's why you want to hear from Mike. Like literally call him up. <laughs> I'll post his number on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> no, so no, I, I agree with that, right? And I think the educators will always be our, our most prized people in our community because they spend the time, they learn this stuff, and then they share it back with us, right? But as they share it back with us, they're reaffirming their own understanding, right? And that's what I do, too. Yeah, when yeah. I go out and, like, teach something or if I hop on a live stream, I sometimes feel I feel like the imposter syndrome kicks in. But I, you know, <laughs> at the same time, I know this information so I can relay it. And then at the same time, it's like a leave behind that I can go back and watch and think, hey, you know, I, I, I know this information. It's, back, it's in the back of my head somewhere. <laughs> I just need a refresher, so it, it's it's absolutely funny you say that. I, I don't think you ever get rid of imposter syndrome. I think no, every don't. at any level you always have a little bit of imposter syndrome. It's funny because I go through these like spurts where I program a lot and then I don't program, and then I program a lot and then I don't program, and I always forget what I don't know and I have to relearn it over again. Yeah, and yeah. it's like you know, and so when I get to people who are programmers a lot, I sometimes get to that imposter syndrome, even though I know I've I've written stuff, I've put stuff out there. Um, you know, and it's like, you just never get over it, you know, yeah. but, it, but I agree with you, what you say. And, and the thing that actually, the, one of the reasons why I love this show is the, one of the things I like to do, especially when I have people that created the solutions is find out the origin story. Mm-hmm. What is the origin? Like there's something that was wrong with something that was out there that made you create this solution out of frustration. Those yeah. are usually the solutions that make it because you bang your head against the wall enough that you're like, you know what? I can make a better solution to do this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I personally will say I've encountered that feeling. Like the, you get so frustrated trying to figure something out that you just build it yourself. Yep. And now all of a sudden it becomes a thing. Yeah. And and that thing for me was what last year when I was out having all these conversations, going to conferences, chatting with folks, a lot of them really didn't understand networking. And that was something they really asked for. 
so frustrated that we didn't have anything to teach folks around networking. I built a network foundations course. Granted, it's not going to be like you're going to become an expert in networking, yeah. like you know, one and a half hours. But that that course is going to give you enough to go back and try and research some more. But then as you're working through cloud native, you'll encounter the terms that you learned through this this course, and then you'll realize, oh, I understand this. I know why I need to do this. And I realized that that was the best gap that I could fill, bridge, and make sure that folks now know, you know, okay, a lot of the stuff I've known from a networking standpoint, great. How does this translate into Kubernetes? And that's what that course is about. So anyone that's, you know, interested, Network Foundations, it's hosted on Solo Academy. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. And and you know what? I love the way that you present stuff. So so I know it's going to be an amazing course. I haven't seen it myself, but now I'm excited to like take yeah. a look at it. But, you know, it's funny. I, I always explain in my career, I said, the thing that I've learned that's really made me successful isn't that I am high, highly technical. There's a mm-hmm. lot of highly technical people out there. Yep. But the thing that has made me successful is I can translate that to things people can understand. I think you have a similar similar way about you. So, so you know, that's the difference. You know, even though somebody has created a thousand Kubernetes course, courses out there, you may be able to explain something in a way that people that it clicks to people you know and and you know you're it's almost like when you create a course and i've created a couple too it's like you're hesitant because you're like oh well there's been so much out there already and you're like should i create this or not but then after you're done then you get emails from people saying you know you taught me something in a different way that i really understand and it really clicked this time so thank you and that's that's the best thing in the world that's that's exactly it right um you think about these little tidbits that folks just don't think about or don't know about, and you drop that in a course, they pick that up, and that's life-changing for them. Yeah. And so you do. I, I will continue to do things like this. Yeah, I'll always absolutely. do this, right, and share as much knowledge as I can until yeah. I just, I don't know, I can't speak anymore or I can't hop on a plane. I don't know. Um, we'll find ways to do it virtually. Yep, yep. But I, you know, I, I truly still feel that imposter syndrome as I go through creating some of these, these courses, content, because I wonder, like, okay, there are – experts out there that are probably reading this thinking i'm a joke right yeah no, I don't, and by the way that never happens you might have that in your <laughs> <Yeah>. mind but <laughs> but that's that is a reality that i think a lot of people go through and experience it's okay to feel that way um it does get easier not significantly easier but it gets easier over time right it's yeah. like hopping on stage the very first time versus the hundredth time yeah it's very easy to hop on stage that hundredth time because now you know the audience you know what to expect you can pick your anchors you can always look at them as you're presenting, and you know your stuff very well too, right? Yep. And that's how I normally go in. I don't. I also don't prepare that well, um, <laughs> only because I feel like most things should come from the heart when you're yeah, actually I agree. You're like on stage. You know, like what slide it is, and you know yep. exactly what to say versus <laughs> you know scripting it, right? Like yep. this, this pod, like none of this was scripted. I'm no, like literally this was scripted. totally scripted. <laughs> we have it line by line. Yeah, here. I'm looking at my iPhone here, and you can't see it. This is my teleprompter right now. <laughs> No, yeah. that's, and that's how it is, right? It, you you will still experience it all the way throughout your career. I can guarantee you that. But you've got people. You've got support systems. You've got communities to talk about this stuff. Um, and that's what I love about going to conferences because they'll make space for, for these kinds of things. Like I, so I've gone to some DevOps days where they do an open spaces. You propose some topics. And I've been to some really cool ones around neurodivergence and neurodiversity. I've been to ones around context switching and managing your schedule, you know, how you how you have to deal with things like ADHD or undiagnosed ADHD. 
And it's phenomenal to see that there are people out there going through something very similar to you and have navigated that a little bit further. So go check out their journeys and see how they're navigating that. Because sometimes... I'm still not navigating that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with a lot of that stuff yeah. as well. Um, you know, quite honestly, there are probably ways that I can solve this. Um, but the reality is I look to some of these people and I will pick and choose a little bit of their solutions and implement it into my own life to make my life a little bit easier. So and, so going back to this um, community, and I've, I've always been wondering this, how did Kube Cuddle come Huddle. about? Oh, Kube Huddle. Kube Huddle. Kube Huddle. Yeah, so uh, today is David Flanagan's birthday, so happy birthday, David. Um, this is your birthday wish because I didn't wish you on Twitter or, or send you a message, and that's okay. I'm sure you'll get this at some point. Anyways, so David decided to create a conference called Kube Huddle, and this happened in Edinburgh over a year ago. And so he put out a CFP, um, I applied for it, got accepted, and I was like, hey, you know what, you know, it'd be nice to go out to Edinburgh, go speak out, hang out with a bunch of friends, and, uh, and just talk about, you know, this one talk that I was doing that entire year, Network Engineering Goes to Boopsie. Great talk. Actually, I'm just saying that because I think it's a great talk. Other people might feel differently. <laughs> um, anyways, so after attending that conference, I, I caught a really good vibe. I really liked it, and I yeah. was like catching this running a conference bug. <laughs> And so after a month, I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'd love to do this in Toronto. Um, and he said, sure, let's hop on a call and chat about it. So we did. He gave me a, a bunch of guidance and tips and told me kind of how he started planning it all out. And he said, you know, start with the venue, get that sorted out, and everything else starts to fall into place. So last December, I went out to one of the venues um, in Toronto, the MTCC, Checked it out, looked fantastic. It felt perfect for what we needed. And, you know, I said, okay, let's put down the deposit and let's go. And so fast forward to last May, we had the event. It was a fantastic event. A lot of people showed up. Um, and it made me realize, like, there is a desire for this kind of stuff in Toronto. Absolutely. There are, there's a desire for a small community to come together and chat about very similar technologies and challenges and problems. So now it's a community because David ran his first one. He, he let me run this one in Toronto, and I'm going to keep doing it. And now you start to see others popping up globally. So there's another one in Stuttgart that's going to be happening, I think, early next year. And there's also a virtual meetup, Coop Huddle, run by a nice uh, that she lives in London. So go check that out as well. So this so maybe, so maybe I should make a coup huddle in New York City. You absolutely should. <laughs> but it started with the fact that we wanted a community that was not oriented towards any sort of governing body or I organization, right? Yeah. But we still wanted to instill the values of community, yeah. make sure that we were inclusive and diverse. And we we are I feel like we are definitely achieving that with with coup huddles. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I really I mean I saw that and I I unfortunately couldn't go but Okay. I was, nice you know, <laughs> I was so excited about that. I was like, it just seemed like such a nice community. It seemed like everybody was talking about it. Everybody was like so excited about it. And I, I just, you know, I think that's amazing. So congratulations Thank on that, you. by Thank the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, we had a, we had a lot of good media attention from uh, Boo Lamb from F5. He came out with his whole camera gear, with his road mics, did interviews with everyone. Fantastic community dude, right? And, yeah, yeah. And you think about some of that stuff because I honestly didn't order any video. I didn't intend to because I had to be budget conscious sure. as well. And to have someone in the community come in and do that for you was was magical, right? That is that is community. Yeah. When you have folks step in, you know, not even being asked, 
and they do this in a very neutral stance. It's you know nothing about the company he works for. He's focused on community and yeah. highlighting some of the achievements of folks in the Kupuddle community is what it's all about, right? So when you think about that, you start to see that there is strong momentum for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, granted, there are other communities out there, and I don't want to overlap, and I don't want to sure. conflict and you know steal from theirs, but I feel like we can all collaborate. Absolutely. Mine, right? I feel like there's enough room for all of yeah, it. Of course. So next time, we'll, we'll do Cloud Unfiltered from Coop Huddle. Love it. Love it. <laughs> In New York City? In New York City. Why not? We'll talk about it. Let's do it. Right? I would love that. That'd be amazing. So, okay. I know you have to run. Um, I, I know this is your first day. What are you excited about seeing at KubeCon? So, unfortunately, I missed the keynotes this morning. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Uh, yeah, and I will probably miss the keynotes tomorrow morning and th- Thursday morning. But I, I highly recommend checking out the recordings because there's a, a lot of valuable information around growth, around a holistic view of what what's going on in the CNCF, around what's going on with community, around how some of these projects are advancing quickly to support a variety of use cases and needs. I'm not going to name the projects. There's like thousands yeah. of them, but there are some recently graduated ones, like Istio recently graduated, Cilium recently graduated. And when you think about these network technologies evolving the way they are, you know the network engineers are going to come to play soon. So. Yeah. What I think you should you should all focus on is pick the sessions you think are aligned best to your interests, right? Don't try to get to everything. Pace yourselves. It's a long event. If you started like I did on Saturday, you're already probably yeah. halfway through your battery right now. So, you know, find some time for yourself. Find yeah. a corner, park up, go back to your I hotel love and chill out, right? But the hallway track. Go go do the hallway track. Yeah. You might miss talks, but someone someone else didn't. Go chat with them and learn from what they've learned, right? Share ideas, meet new people, form new communities. So that's that's what I have to say about KubeCon. I mean, I would say that you should go check out some of Solo's talks. Yeah, but that's a given. Come on, like yeah, <laughs> Solo's got some great talks. Yeah, absolutely do. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the people that work at Solo. By the way, so, thank you so, so you know, much. That's, yeah. Besides you, of course, but you know everybody else that works there is <laughs> yeah, great too. So, yeah, you know, it's, it awesome is a good much. it is a good group of people, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, thank you so much for for coming on. This has been amazing. I know we've talked about my, our our audience is probably like, like you've talked about it? a million different things, but but yeah. you know what, the conversation was great. And I really appreciate having you, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I you know, hope to do this again. Someday, Absolutely. But, uh, I really hope we get to do that coup puddle. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm serious about yeah. that. All right, man. All right, man. Thank, Thank you so you. much. <laughs>